are listening to Drinks at the Doll, a podcast way station for Lost Girl fans. I'm your host, Stephanie. And I'm Annie. And I'm Chris. And I'm your special guest, Sally. Oh, Sally introduced herself. That's amazing. This is our special guest, Sally, whom you might know from previous episodes of this podcast. And you also might know from Fangirl Shirts. If you have not seen some of their really delightful t-shirts, you should go check them out. It's fangirlshorts.com, correct, Sally? Correct. Yes. So they've got great stuff for Winona Earp and Star Wars and Lost Girl and Orphan Black and a bunch of other fandoms. So you should go check them out. Killjoys. Everybody watch Killjoys. (laughs) Also Killjoys. For the drink special for this episode, I am going with a cocktail I found in my Mr. Boston's Bartender Guide called an Insider Cocktail. That's spelled I-N-C-I-D-E-R. So we're going for a bit of a homophone here since Bo and Lauren are both working as inside women in the jail. But the, the Insider Cocktail is a ounce and a half of blended whiskey, such as like a famous grouse or Johnny Walker red, and apple cider. It's you pour the whiskey over ice in an old-fashioned glass, top it with apple cider, and garnish with a slice of apple, which sounds nice. Though I will vouch that if all you have on hand is apple juice that you bought in the baby section of Aldi, that will do in a pinch. So in this episode, we are discussing the season three episode of Last Girl, Caged Faye, and this was Sally's pick. So Sally, why did you want to talk about this episode? Well, this is one of my favorite episodes because it was the first episode of season three, and that was the first season where Emily Andrus became a full-time showrunner, and I just thought it was a lot of fun when I first saw it. I, you know, came to Lost Girl in the middle of season three. So I had to catch up from season one and I zoomed right through it. And it, it was just uh, delightful and fun and funny and crazy. And I, I just liked it a lot. So I feel like this episode is particularly dear to fans of Bo and Lauren. Uh, it's, it's where their relationship gets kicked off in season three. So I feel like this might also be another favorite of Annie's. Am I right, Annie? Yeah, I have a very soft spot in my heart for this episode, not just because of Bo and Lauren finally getting together, but but because that was right when I started watching, because I somehow timed it where I went through the first two seasons of Lost Girl in about a week and a half, and then the third season was just starting. I like missed the first run of this episode, but caught it on the run on sci-fi and I was like wow I was just reminded of how like crazy this show is in a good way I'm all what's illiterate and wow everyone's in but who made prison jump jumpsuits like that and this show is awesome and uh, forever so uh, anyway I, I love it for a lot of reasons but mostly because I'm really nostalgic about me that's kind of like when I became a fan was with this episode chris how about you what are your thoughts about this episode i i uh, have complicated feelings about this episode because mm-hmm. there are there are scenes in it that i really like i think the overall premise of the show the episode is somehow both entertaining and extremely cringe inducing and it bothers me a lot <laughs> um <laughs> Some of it I just find downright objectionable. And, like, full confession, watching this the first time, I didn't really... I don't know. 
stuff was weird in my life. And I just I needed the show to be fun and an escapist. And I saw it more that way. But upon rewatches, I'm just like, ooh, ooh, no. (laughs) But I I live, I live for that Bo and Kenzie scene. Mm -hmm. That is kind of all I want out of this episode. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I thought you were going to say Bo and Lauren. I'm all, wait, that went the wrong way. (laughs) I live for the Bo and Lauren scene because it's literally... I know you do, Annie. Yeah. I like their scenes, don't get me wrong. But, you know, if I had to choose one scene from this episode to watch over and over again, it's the Bo and Kenzie scene. How about you, Stephanie? You know, I'm I'm more in Chris's camp for this episode. I, I was re- actually thinking today about the fact that this is kind of a pivotal episode for Drinks at the Doll, because this is the episode that actually almost made me quit watching Lost Girl. So if, if I had, there would not be this podcast. So it is actually kind of an important wow. episode for this podcast. Sorry, I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa, I didn't know that either. It's true. It's true. So I feel like we'll get into more of that later. I'd like to to start in on the stuff, though, that I think generally works for all of us. So let's talk about Bo and Lauren and their scenes in this episode, which I find to be really quite good. They're, they're definitely the highlights of the of the episode besides the Bo and Kenzie scene, like Chris mentioned. Throw it out there for I somebody love- to start. Sally. All right. <laughs> I'll go. I love the Bo and Lauren scenes in the episode, especially because they were really pivotal. I I think I saw I drew a lot of deeper meaning from some of the dialogue than perhaps was originally intended, especially from the ending where Bo and Lauren, where Bo says it's time to Lauren. You know, I kind of extrapolated that to mean it's time for same sex relationships to go mainstream in television you know, not just it's time for us to be in a relationship with each other. But, you know, I also like kind of the dance, the back and forth between Bo and Lauren throughout the episode. You know, it's clear that they had been doing something with each other and Lauren wanted more. And she told <laughs> Bo that she could do better than Dyson. And Bo kept kind of hemming and hawing at various points about that her feelings weren't always black and white. By the end, she seems to really have kind of turned a corner through the emotional journey that she went on in the episode. And, you know, she said, life's too short. Let's let's do this thing right now in heck of a prison. <laughs> oh, you <know>, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Why did the camera have to go up and the crane had to go up? We wanted to see it, more of it doing it right now. But that was just anyway. But this is one of the instances where we see Bo, because she took on this whole case for Lauren. And it's not that this is the first time she's done that, but it feels like this is the most involved thing that she has done, you know, getting herself arrested and, and, and things like that. And I think similarly, we see Lauren take risks for Bo in this episode, as she does throughout the series as well. I think this episode is like, kind of like a starting point for them also working really well together again, but also you've got this tension of will they, won't they throughout the episode, as Sally said. But um, I just, I like how seamless they are in working together in this episode and the risks they take for each other because it shows how much they care about each other, even if their, you know, feelings are kind of a bit all over the place. You know, the fact that Bo took so many risks to even get into prison and then gets beat up and all this stuff and that 
Lauren puts on a disguise as a skunk ape and then, you know, Tita, and then takes it off. Well, she takes her pants off and I'm like, woo, but no, she, uh, she gets rid of the skunk ape just to protect the Wombly. And it's just, uh, uh, I don't know. It just does my heart good. It's like the stuff of fanfic. I know that's kind of silly to bring up, but to see them, as you said, taking so many risks for each other. I don't know. It just endeared me to them and their storyline in this episode. Yeah. Upon rewatch, I also thought that the whole plan seemed, did seem a little convoluted that Bo was going to rob a bank so she could legitimately get arrested and then go undercover into the prison when presumably it was a light fay prison and Hale was the acting ash. And, you know, even though the Amazons didn't have any, anything to do with men, you'd think that the ash would have some kind of influence or sway or some say so in a light fay prison, but it was a good setup for the story, I guess. Yeah, it, it definitely was, uh, you know, taking some advantages with, our assumptions about things. It kind of is one of the things in retrospect you think, wait a minute, this feels overly complicated. <laughs> but 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 I actually really liked it because the end of season two left Bo's state of mind in question. So to start season three off with like, oh no, did she actually go evil? I thought that was really clever and very disconcerting watching it for the first time. <laughs> Yeah. Like, oh no, what's going on? Well, I had that moment when I was doing a rewatch because it had been so long. Uh, again, usually it's just the end scene that I watch with the, <laughs> the scenes, but I'm shocked. <laughs> I, it's, but I actually, yeah, really kind of got shocked going back to that scene going, oh yeah, Bo was pretending to be the, the baddie here and I liked it. <laughs> so I just, yeah, that misdirection was fun. But I guess going back to what Sally was saying about the end scene between the two of them and the the weight of Bo saying it's time, like, I think it's fine that you saw maybe more in that than the writers intended, because I do think it was an appropriate it was an appropriate thing for Bo to say to Lauren to sort of jumpstart a relationship between the two of them. But I think it, it does have a a weight to it and sort of where society and, and the acceptance of like LGBT people in society was at that time period. So I don't think it was unreasonable that you read it that way, Sally, even if that wasn't necessarily the writer's intentions. There is the artist, the art, and then there is the viewer. And then in between the two is the message. Wow. All righty. <laughs> that is profound. <laughs> I mean, sure, I'm just like, my mind was momentarily blown. I didn't but, make it up. Somebody else said it, but. <laughs> okay. But, well, speaking of the writer, did you ever ask Emily Andrus since she wrote this episode? Uh, well, you had asked her once if that was her intention. It was in the episode, exactly. the exactly. interview that we recorded with Emily Andrus that we asked her that question, <laughs> Andy. <laughs> I thought. If it sounds familiar, that's why. <laughs> it's been a while, okay? <laughs> Obviously, I do not listen to my own podcast. <laughs> well, you already heard them once. Why would you listen to them again? <laughs> I don't know. You guys are so amusing. The thing is, so though, Annie does re-listen to our podcast episode. She just lied. <laughs> I, I do. Sometimes. 
Just not the right ones, obviously, because I can't remember <laughs> else. She didn't talk enough about Docubus. We understand. <laughs> but, you know, that's the thing, too. I mean, Stephanie, you said the point in time in society back then where LGBTQ people were in the spectrum of political acceptance, at least in the United States and Canada, like the rest of the world is another story. Some places were and are further along. Some places are definitely not. But I think for the time period, like I saw Lost Girl as really groundbreaking and ahead of where other shows were. And I thought it was not just groundbreaking, but also breaking new ground. I kind of questioned to myself at the time, like, you know, is it a bellwether or is it a juggernaut? Is it creating the change or is it reflecting the change? I don't know. But then I have to say also on rewatching this episode in 2018, and then when it originally aired, was it 2013, 2014? I think so. 13. 13. Yep. There were lots of things in it that, um, Chris, you said like parts of it make you cringe, I think. Oh, yeah. <laughs> at the time, at the time, they, they didn't make me cringe so much. And I was watching it through these Bo and Lauren colored glasses. But, you know, I also Wait, just they're kind of... glasses? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> What do you mean? Yes. My whole life is a lie? <laughs> when it comes to Bo and Lauren fandom, not my life, just my documents life. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. Go on. You can also get Bo and Lauren contacts these days. Or even <laughs> the technology has improved. <laughs> the cutting edge now is Documus LASIK. <laughs> I, think, I think Annie has already had that done. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, so there were parts of it that um, are so different watching it five years later that it kind of made me question, was this episode turning the trope on its head or was it just, you know, straight up doing the trope and then it was different because it was Lost Girl? Like how much is that a product of its time or, you know, how much have I changed in the last five years that at the time I watched it, I was like, Oh, this is hilarious. I love it. You know, I, it might be kind of problematic, but I don't see it. And then, you know, now I was like, Whoa, you know, I can't imagine watching it, you know, in this day and age without, you know, at least having some kind of some serious questions, just especially in the last year after, you know, the election in the United States and all the stuff that's come out. So do we do we want to start talking about that? Do we want to talk about the the prison storyline? Because I feel like that's really where the problematic aspect comes in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, prison. Because yeah, which trope were you referring to, Sally? The woman in prison trope, or another specific one? Yeah, the women in prison trope. Because clearly, mm-hmm. this this episode is playing on the lesbian women in prison exploitation movies from like the seventies around mm-hmm. in there and so yeah i think i don't know if are, are any of y'all familiar with bitch planet the it's a comic book i'm familiar with it i've started it i haven't gotten very far yet well bitch planet i feel like is looking at that lesbian women in prison or maybe just women in prison type of exploitation film and it's actually doing a satire on it and really doing it differently than it was before this episode i think is more of a pastiche to those original films so it's it's basically just duplicating 
those types of things, giving it a slightly different context, of course. And, you know, we have a, a character who's established as a bisexual character and we have a lesbian character who are in this situation that we know of before sort of we enter this world. But it still, I think, is very much just duplicating that women in prison type of, of film and rather than trying to get us to question, are these things that are happening, are these okay? You know, should we be concerned with some of the stuff that's going on? I don't know. That's kind of my take on it. What did you think, Chris? I, 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 I agree with what you, you and I had a little bit of a conversation before this, that they are mostly just sort of embracing the trope, but I feel like they're doing, or or at least they think they're doing like a fun lost girl spin on it. Right. And they're not critiquing it, really. I don't think it's necessarily doing it uncritically, but I feel like they're not... I don't know. I feel like it's very much intended as sort of like, yeah, like a pastiche or an homage, and they're doing it sort of like with a wink, but also there is a lot of stuff in here that's just really problematic. And, and like I just, they're not presenting the issues as seriously as they could, or, you know, as critically as they could. <sighs> yeah. I totally I see what you mean, though. There's different layers yeah i see that it is presented with more of a wink and a nod and a humorous bent as opposed to what we find problematic in it which i see the more that i watch seriously it's just that there's so much awful stuff happening yeah and the fact that they incorporated the amazons in it and here's the thing about the the amazon mythology that they present i kind of have an issue with this because there are several different versions of Amazons from myth, and they kind of went with the most sexist version. <laughs> and they made it, like, true in the Lost Girl world, and that feels weird to me. Mm. Is it just me? The, no, that's a great point. Could you go over the different kind of Amazon versions a little bit, Chris? I, I don't know if I remember them all super well, but I did read a thing recently that was sort of detailing the various, at least a couple versions. And it's it's always some version of, like, it's a tribe of women who are warriors. That's always sort of the basic version. But then this version is they're women who basically actively hate men and if once a year go and essentially mate with them and then leave the baby boys to die and keep the girls. And... I think there's another version or or sort of variations on this. Sometimes they take the boys back to the other village with the men in it and take their boys back to them. I don't know. I think there are some versions where they just like, I don't know if they steal children. I don't remember exactly what all the details are. But the the theme here is that it's always that they're intimidated and in awe of these, you know, supposed warrior women who are off living on their own is sort of always the the idea behind it. But I don't know. The fact that they went with this sort of most sexist, most egregious version kind of irks me. Y meaning, because I think what they established in the episode is that they hate men and they abandon the babies. That's the version that they went with, right? Yes, correct. Abandon the male babies, excuse me. Yes. And then there's the other famous archetypal Amazons, which is really the definitive version, which is from Xena Warrior Princess, right? <laughs> exactly. 
I, I wouldn't actually know because I'm sorry to admit, I, I have barely watched any Xena. Uh, as That's have cool. I. So, That's all right, guys. Annie's here for me, right, Annie? <laughs> <laughs> Virtual high five. What are the Amazons like on Xena? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Annie, why don't you take that one? <laughs> they do a lot of backflips. <laughs> uh, they fight with a... <laughs> they know Kung Fu. Uh, they mate with centaurs. Like you and do. have little centaur, yeah, like you do, and have little centaur babies. I mean, if you can, why wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Why um, wouldn't you want your child to have the best life possible? Clearly, being half horse is the best life. <laughs> it would only be a quarter horse. <laughs> that was, that, that's funny. Ah. That was a good one, Chris. That was a good one. Thank you. <laughs> And uh, Gabrielle ends up being the queen of the Amazons, so it's they're awesome. Ooh! And of course, they wear nothing but leather bikinis. Well, so, why <laughs> with a lot of fringe? Of, of course, of course, the fringe is essential. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're, no, they're pretty awesome in Xenoland. Question: How do they compare to Wonder Woman's Amazons? Oh, those are some good answers. That's a trick question because there are several different versions depending on who's writing. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I growl about that, too. Um, yeah, they're just under for me. But, you know, Wonder Woman and... Uh, yeah, that Amazon's pretty awesome. <laughs> well, I think the thing about the Amazons in Xena and then also in Wonder Woman, at least the movie Amazon, the movie Wonder Woman Amazons, are that, you know, they have longer with them in, like, they're recurring characters in Xena, so they are shown to evolve and you know at first they are are enemies with the centaurs and they want nothing to do with them but then you know the whole culture goes through an evolution when one of them falls in love with the centaur and has a a foal um with him (laughs) and in the middle of the uh in the middle of the oh i can't remember what war thracian war the peloponnesian war who knows yes yes that was it but one, but they do. They're shown to be able to, you know, evolve their society and kind of open their minds. And I feel like it was a similar-ish message with Wonder Woman. I mean, not really, because when Diana left, she could never come back. And the rest of the Amazons on Themyscira, you know, her her mom said, you know, you can't come back. And you know, like if you leave, you're out. And they were pretty fearful of men in like modern society. But I think Diana took the first step towards changing that and. In some ways, it's we don't ever come back to the Amazons and Lost Girl, right? So they don't really have a chance to unpack what the society is really like. But I think you know we're told in the episode like what they're like, and you know they're not the most flattering portrait of no. Amazons in general. Or you know they also maybe reinforce whatever the I don't know stereotypes of the man hating lesbian. Yep, are out there. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel yeah, like the-, the Amazons function in Lost Girl, they kind of are the the bad stereotypes about lesbians, and I also think feminists. Like, they are the, this is when we take feminism too far type of wording post used in, in Lost Girl. But look at Bo, she's nice and balanced, and she doesn't hate men, and, you know, but look, she's sex positive, she has a vibrator. I don't know, they just kind of, <sighs> I, I, I dislike how they're used in Lost Girl. And they actually had Bo use the word feminazi, which also made me cringe oh, super hard. Yeah, I, I, yeah they, she did, didn't she? 
Mm-hmm. That's where it was. That I did not rewatch the episode. I did not want to get my ire up before we recorded. So <laughs> forgive me if I'm a yeah, little fuzzy I, I on the details. <laughs> Let me remind you of all the things you hated. But going back to the, uh, you know, the stereotypes of the angry lesbian. Of course, it's the way all the guards are dressed, and you know, super butch and just. And I'm like, calm down, you know. <laughs> and, <laughs> Calm the F down, ladies. But, yeah, and then there's, it's just, the thing that always bugs me, one of the things, like, when the guards are beating on Bo and, you know, the warden, she goes, oh, not her face, I want her pretty. And I'm like, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And Bo cleaning the office with a toothbrush uh, and the very revealing thing. Uh, and I'm like, uh, yeah. I mean, it's interesting how my feelings about this episode believe it or not, now that time has passed, I do see the a lot of the issues that you guys are talking about. And it's like, it, you know, it, again, I'm like, oh, show, don't rely on tired stereotypes. So not that this show certainly doesn't always do that, but it had quite a few problematic scenes in this one. Yeah, I feel like so what I'm hearing is that your docubus LASIK has helped. <laughs> My Docubus LASIK is awesome. <laughs> I see those sex scenes in Crystal 4KH whatever. I, I meant in seeing the other problematic things, Annie. <laughs> no, Docubus glasses just help me see Docubus better. Yeah, but the LASIK has improved your vision. Like, it's fixed your vision. Yeah. <laughs> My sex vision, yeah. But anyway... <laughs> The sexy scene vision. I I don't even I don't know. You can see it best on a Blu-ray of Lost Girl because yeah. that's the color of the succubus chi. Yep, exactly. You remember the time that we were talking about Lauren's apartment and how she had all the Blu-rays and mm-hmm. DVDs, and we're like, God, I was like, God, if we could just have Docubus in three D, you know, IMAX. Anyway. But LASIK, I believe your actual phrase was glorious high def. (laughs) That would be called IMAX Climax. (laughs) (laughs) To let you know what's going on on our other podcasts, we are primarily releasing episodes on our multi-fandom podcast, Phanalysis. We have released a lot of episodes of late about Kara and Lena over on Supergirl, a.k.a. they are known as Supercorp on Tumblr and other places. We have been discussing the subtext of their scenes in the episodes, as well as some Supercorp fan fiction. However, we also, on that podcast recently, we Chris and I did an episode discussing the first season of Marvel's Runaways over on Hulu, which we both enjoy- enjoyed quite a bit. So if you haven't already, please go check out that podcast. You can subscribe to it on Apple Podcasts and Google Play Music, and you can always find it over at our website, askgenretv.com. I do want to, this is somewhat related to Docubus Sex, I guess. I did want to go back to the <laughs> the office cleaning scene that Andy mentioned, because I, I'd like to point out the reason that I find that scene gross is that... Okay, yes, Bo as a character, she typically is wearing clothing that is cleavage revealing, and that's great. That's fine. That's clothes she picked out herself. Yes, those are clothes she picked out herself. She's choosing to wear them. That's great. 
this is problematic to me because this is clearly an outfit that she did not wear, choose to wear. It's an outfit that was picked out for her. And she's on the floor, on her hands and knees, cleaning a floor. And we're, and we're getting the shot down her shirt. It makes me yeah, very uncomfortable. In, in this submissive position, yep. which, again, reinforces the prison stereotype. This is what the warden's going to make you do. Uh-huh. Uh, we have something special for this prisoner in mind. And, ugh, it's yeah. It's really gross. I really hate that shot that we get of her cleaning the floor. It really makes me uncomfortable. Basically, all of the stuff with the Amazons treating the prisoners in any way just makes me deeply uncomfortable. Yeah. No. And speaking Well, of- and, and how they dress them, you know, in their low-cut... Their sexy one-piece. prison outfits. Sexy prison With, like, what are those called? Wedges. Really tall, high heels. What is with those yeah, shoes? No, they're like wedge high heels. Yeah. Yeah. Weird. And although, as much as I uh, love having uh, Noreen Landry for a costume designer, I always kind of look at it and go, ha ha, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. But then you can also kind of look at it as, pro- you know, going, oh, what? this is the lost girl world. Of course, they're going to dress prisoners like that. And then you kind of look at it with different eyes and go, oh, yeah. Dressing prisoners like that is, uh, like, problematic. Yeah. So. The the prison jumpsuits on their own don't bother me. But I think in, like, that paired with the way the guards treat the prisoners, just, ugh. And the way the guards are dressed. What were you going to say, Sally? You're, you got, you started, but then you stopped. Well, I was going to skip, I was going to jump to the end also when uh, Hale says that he closed the prison you know he pardoned all but the most violent offenders and then shut the whole prison down i had questions when i rewatched it that i maybe i'd have them then or not but where did those where did the other prisoners go yeah and then just also kind of um hale is a black man and he shut down a prison that was you know an abuse of power and then watching that in context like mass incarceration in the united states and i know this is a canadian show so I don't know that um, this show was necessarily making a comment on that, but I heard that line so differently mm-hmm. five years later. That's a good point. Well, and it's interesting that he also says the literate that he survived. So I always wonder what happened to him. Yeah. But, I mean, what did you guys think besides general kind of <laughs> about the shot that Eventually, Emily Andrus responded to that it was people found really problematic with the crotch grab. Mm. I mostly can't believe nobody saw that and 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 went, you know, this might not be a thing that way you should do. Yeah. Mm. But I, I feel like we need to go back to what Sally was saying before about the, what was it? You have like the writers and the viewer and then the message. Yep. So mm-hmm. I feel like from the writer's perspective... The literate was not a transgender person, not, you know, a genderqueer person. You know, the literate was this awful character, this awful villain who was taking advantage and using these women and abusing these women. And they just didn't intend for him to represent that to people. But at the same time, it is completely fair that for the viewers, the literate represents that person to them, you know? So I feel like, yeah, Chris, I'm with you. It's a little surprising that nobody didn't see that and think, huh, that seems like a bad idea, but mm-hmm. I, I do feel like this was just a complete disconnect between sort of what the writers were thinking when they were writing it and then what viewers 
could see in this character. Mm-hmm. Well, it was interesting that me, I remember reading that feedback at the time and the writers um, issuing an apology about it. And I was like, huh, what? And I, you know, again, I, I look at it differently now, but I was like, oh, this show maybe is a little controversial because I, I was very new to it then. And I was like, what's going on? Like, I didn't quite get what the big deal was about then, even if I was out at that time myself. And, but, you know, I just wasn't, I suppose, as educated on how different groups of people might feel. So I may be saying it very badly, but, you know, it's, yeah, it's amazing what five years does. Just in terms of my personal um, just views, how they've changed or opened up. I, I do think awareness has certainly improved over the, over the past five years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have a lot more visible transgender people like Laverne Cox and uh, mm-hmm. uh, people, I think, are just more aware of trans folks and things that things that concern them, things that clearly that they're underrepresented on television. And I think people mm-hmm. are more aware of the really unfortunate storylines that tend to be given to trans characters. And yeah, obviously, we still have a really long way to go. But I do think that people are more aware of things like that now. Yeah. Right. Because like... I, I mean, I get that the writers really didn't intend for the character to be seen that way, but it's just like, this situation is so... Upsetting? <laughs> yes, I guess. It, regar- it's a situation where... Somebody is grabbing that, somebody that, else's that- genitals, regardless. Like, that is not... That is a very, like, violent situation, regardless of mm-hmm. of, of what whatever they found on the other end. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it, regardless of, of what the result was, that's just a very... And that's something that upsets me about this episode. It feels like the violence is very interpersonal in this, mm-hmm. in this episode, whereas I'm okay with violence if it's, like, couched within this larger good versus evil battle. But this just feels like very one-on-one interpersonal violence, which makes me uncomfortable. And, and this is a good example of that. And... I don't know. I mean, I don't know what your opinion is. I I don't think it's a hallmark of the series. This is not something we normally see in Lost Girl when it comes to the violence. Yeah, it feels yeah. very out of character from yeah. from the, most of what we see on the show to me. You know, because by contrast, we have the big battle with Bo and her father where really all they're doing is facing hands. So, <laughs> you know, it's... <laughs> Glowy hands. But, yeah, so it is, I mean, as much as Lost Girl is a sex-positive show, this was one time where it really got turned around and was interpreted, I would say, by most of the audience in a way that was negative when it came to violence and sexuality. You know, and it's interesting, like, kind of, I said this is one of my favorite episodes, and it still is, but... I don't know if I just wasn't aware of, um, you know, everything that we've talked about when I was watching it the first time. I think I was just so caught up in, like, what is happening on my TV. I've never seen anything like this before. No. And, uh, you know, but I... I, definitely was like that. Yeah, I was not as aware. Yeah. No. I was just like, oh, my God, kisses. (laughs) Documents, kisses. And they kiss together. And they're together. Yay! Let's get a tattoo. I have fan art from this episode that is my Docubus tattoo, and I have Docubus under it in Zoe Palmer's handwriting, which she was kind enough to do. But I, I think it's a really important point in this series for Bo and Lauren, and that's what I wanted represented. 
by that tattoo. And it was interesting that when I got the tattoo, I was like, oh, God, the series has not ended yet, and I'm getting a tattoo. What if they don't end up together? I'm screwed. (laughs) I was really glad that they did. Well, you weren't you weren't screwed, Annie. It's just that you were capturing a moment in time. Yes, a meaningful moment for them. Hoping for Endgame. So, <laughs> anyway, but so I'm, I'm glad it turned out the way it did. But I think it's a good like the it's time is kind of like almost a good midpoint uh, in the series and of their relationship because they still go through a lot of ups and downs after that. But again, to me, it represents just a really good memory for me personally. Cause that's when I really started watching the show. Same. Yeah. You know, and I'll also add to like wrap up kind of the, the litter storyline, you know, the reaction and then, you know, the follow up from the show, even though I agree, I'm kind of with you, Chris, like how did someone, you know, in editing or story, like not kind of foresee the problems with that but you know who knows like lots of reasons you know i think that after the episode aired and then the feedback the statement from glad the gay lesbian alliance against defamation they're not called that anymore though they just go by glad you know i thought the show like they they wrote a statement that i think you know explained where they were coming from but also you know apologized and affirmed that they you know their intention was not to make anyone feel uncomfortable or, you know, I, I don't have word for word what the statement was, but, you know, I thought on balance that that was a pretty decent response from a show. And, you know, I look at it in contrast to other shows when there have been problematic things where, mm-hmm. you know, showrunners or writers, whoever, um, you know, have either just ignored the feedback and not responded to it, or in some cases with some other shows have gotten into social media disputes with fans like that's right yeah that's happened with actors and show writers so you know i thought that um in the way that they say on tv like they took the note well i agree with you there sally i think that um i had that feeling when you know i was new to the show i didn't know quite everything that was going on when i read that statement but i appreciated them making that statement and especially seeing what's been going on with some fandom since they were very keen to do it and they did it right away. So it's not like, Oh, we're going to wait two months and Oh yeah, this thing that we, Oh, now we're seeing the feedback. You know, they were pretty, uh, you know, as responsible for it as they could be. So I appreciated that. And I did appreciate that they did that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like since I'm not a trans person, I can't really say whether that was, you know, a good enough apology or not, but I, I do remember thinking, well, at least they didn't do one of those, well, we're sorry you were offended type of yeah, type yeah. of things. So, it, you know, all in all, I think they handled it decently. But before we, we move off the, the Litterk completely, this is the first time that Lost Girl delved into the mystical pregnancy trope, which, as anybody listened to this podcast probably once, knows that I just love that trope as in i really <laughs> freaking hate it <laughs> well but, that was the one thing still i was like even before that because of xena i was like nope nope <laughs> go on stephanie i want to hear how about how much you love the trope <laughs> <laughs> well 
I will say in this episode, I appreciated that it was presented as problematic the entire time. Like that was the whole thing that made the Litterk a bad person was was that he was doing these things to women against their will. So it does have that going for it, I guess. But man, do I still hate that trope a whole lot. <laughs> With good reason. Mm-hmm. And as much as Bo and Lauren's plan might have been overly complicated to get into Hecuba, it seemed like an overly complicated plan to cover up the fact that the Litterac was having babies or I don't know. It was just, it took me a while, a few watches to get it, you know, because Bo found the empty canisters, but that was a decoy and, you know, wiping their memories the, of the woman who had been impregnated and then putting them back in prison and what? Yeah, very, very convoluted plans this episode. <laughs> but that's kind of what genre does a lot too, so... Mm, yeah. So like Chris, you mentioned before, this features Kenzie in, I think, possibly, it's really close, but probably my favorite of her outfit persona, pretending to be somebody she isn't really a type of, of scenes. It, she's just, she's so over the top and delightful. And, you know, we got Kenzie putting another notch in her belt, smooching somebody else on cast on Lost Girl. <laughs> I mean, she'd already kissed her, but Chris always says it's an odd season, so Bo's got to kiss. But I think the first time Bo kissed her, right? So this time, you know, Kenzie That's had right. That. Kenzie seemed reluctant about it the first time, and there was no reluctance here. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> really, really. She climbed that table. And she had to give her the very important contact lens, which yeah. continues the theme of eyewear. <laughs> it's true. It's true. But get this, was it right? Was contact, though? I know. Well, Maybe that explains why Bo decided it was time, Chris. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it made Lauren look extra pretty. <laughs> we have solved the riddle. <laughs> yep. That is totally what happened. Also, she was chewing gum when she came into the prison. So how did she not chew up the contact lens? I want to know. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't know. Kenzie's talented Kenzie's that way. Talented, yeah. But I, I, that's one of the best Kenzie performances when the guards rip her away. I'll be faithful. <laughs> This time. (laughs) (laughs) Makes me laugh every time. Every time. (sighs) She's just so great. It feels like we didn't get quite as many of those Kenzie pretending to be other people scenes past about Mm -hmm. season three. So this is like, I feel like the last meaty one of the series. Mm -hmm. With her monster truck thumb. Mm -hmm. Yep. She really got in character. Were you going to say something about the music, Annie? Oh, yeah. Just a shot of Kenzie walking into the prison with the cinematography and everything and the music. I uh, can't remember the song at the moment, but... Jailbait was the name of the song, I believe. (laughs) (laughs) It's a little on the nose, but okay. It works. It works. It's a great song. Yeah. I have one more thing to say about Bo and Lauren, which I meant to say earlier, but I forgot. But this kind of wraps around to Bo and Lauren. I know, Annie, you would love to wrap around Bo and Lauren, but... (laughs) No, no, she wants them wrapped around each other. (laughs) Yeah, that way they stick together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if Annie's there, it's just a bonus. <laughs> so I guess the other kind of minor storyline in this episode was was having to do with Dyson. 
He got his feelings back for Bo at the end of season two, and now we are seeing him cope with that fact in this episode. And I was just curious, how do each of you, how do you feel about his decision not to tell Bo that he loves her again? I felt like I saw people in in two very definitive camps after this season sort of started airing, so I'm kind of curious where where y'all fall. Sally, what did you think about it? Oh, I didn't give it a lot of thought, I guess, but... (laughs) (laughs) because <laughs> the docubus kissing <laughs> i don't know i mean i see both sides like on the one hand he thinks Bo looks happy and he doesn't want to complicate things for her you know by telling her on the other hand you know he was lying by omission mm-hmm. it, he had no good choices i guess but i don't know yeah see that's the thing it's always like I love her so much that when I see her happy, even if it's with somebody else, I'll let it be, you know. I mean, I, I felt bad for him, but he was just like, that That seemed like the kind of thing that he would do, given his character. He's just going to keep it close to his. It's a very guy thing to do. Um, and he loves vests. Yes. He's going to keep it in his very fancy-looking vest. <laughs> his feelings. How about you, Chris? I don't know. I I agree with with Sally and Annie. I feel like I can't really blame him for maybe not saying anything, at least at first. Mm -hmm. I feel like the the thing is, like, once it maybe becomes an issue, then maybe you should probably say something about it. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, that kind of annoyed me later that he didn't tell her for so long. But I I can't really blame him for maybe not saying anything right then, because like... (laughs) She's smooching another woman. <laughs> or, I mean, like, within within a reasonable <laughs> amount of time of that happening, right? Like, <laughs> Bo has clearly moved on. She seems happy. There's no reason to, to necessarily bring it up then. If Dyson is genuinely okay with that happening, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Of course, if he wasn't, then bringing it up would probably make him a jerk, too. So I don't know. Yeah. Again, we're back to, like, there's not really a good choice here. I I agree. I feel like he didn't have a great choice here because I feel like even if he thought, okay, I'm just going to be up front with her, I'm going to get out in the open. I'm like, how does he do that without it feeling like he's trying to put pressure on Bo? You know, Mm -hmm. like he's not trying to say like, hey, I'm a viable option again. You got to make a choice between the two of us again, even if that's not his intention. I don't know. I feel like that's kind of how it would make Bo feel, even if he was trying not to do that, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. But I I feel like his decision not to tell her in this episode, I feel, is kind of justifiable. I think it gets more problematic later in the season, especially I'm thinking of in like Fade to Black, where... There's that ending scene at the bar where she like puts his her her hand on his arm and is like, you know, us sleeping together. That didn't mean anything to you because you didn't have feelings and he doesn't say anything. And again, that's not a great moment, but it's kind of like, Dyson, it's become more complicated now. Maybe you should say something, you know? <laughs> right. That's the yeah. thing, right? If there's mm-hmm. other stuff factoring into it, then maybe it's best to just fess up. Mm-hmm. Not that it's going to be great to do that either, but... Yeah. But when they finally do talk about it, in delinquents no it was in the ceremony when they talk about it and but then i think they thought there's like follow-up in in delinquents where Bo basically says like i hear you i'm in love with lauren i'm with lauren period 
So I don't know. It feels like if he had said it something sooner, maybe they just could have gotten to that point scene sooner where Bo just says, I'm with Lauren. That's it. Sorry, buddy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But who knows? I don't think necessarily that Dyson did anything wrong, I guess. Like, I just don't think he had a great choice here. No. Yeah. I mean, it was clear that he intended to tell her after Kenzie was saying, you know, have you told her yet? And you better go do it. Get back in the game, buddy. And, uh, you know, he intended to. So I agree maybe in the moment, like, it wasn't great. But, I mean, what is the right thing to do down the line, obviously, if you're going to sleep with somebody and they think you don't have feelings for them, then it maybe crosses an ethical line. Yeah, I I think it it definitely gets more complicated later in the season, which is what the writers wanted. (laughs) (laughs) Drama. Drama. (laughs) It's like they planned for it or something. (laughs) (sighs) They planned to turn my insides out. Thanks a lot, writers. I will say, though, something that I was reminded of as I was revisiting this episode in my head, because like I said, I didn't rewatch it. Uh, (laughs) I was watching it in my head. In my brain. In my brain TV. And (laughs) there was, at the end there, of course, you know, you have Dyson and Kenzie that are behind like this little gate and they're looking at Bo and Lauren kiss. Not weird at all. (laughs) But the show had the tendency (laughs) It just happens so often at this point. They're like, whatever. I know. But it feels like, in retrospect, the show did that a lot with Dyson. They had him kind of in the background in these really important Bo and Lauren moments. And the or way that they literally never... in the middle. Exactly. The like, way that they never ceremony. did with Lauren in the same way. And it just kind of struck me as, huh, why'd you do that, show? That feels a little weird. I don't know. You're making my docubus colored glasses all smeary. <laughs> <laughs> Annie, the show is over. You know how it ends. <laughs> No, but I'm just still indignant if I do a whole series rewatch going, ah, that really just made me, I, I remember the anger at the time and the conflict within me. It was just, it was a lot. It was emotional. I love how I these, still love these the episodes turn into like therapy sessions for Annie. I remember the anger. <laughs> I got the thing I wanted, but I'm still mad about what happened that got us there. <laughs> Hey, man, that's how I know it's a good show. Therapy. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, I don't, I don't know if, it, if any of y'all had any thoughts about that, but it just it struck me as I was thinking about this episode. I was like, oh, yeah, this is another instance where they had Dyson Link in the background as Bo and Lauren were having something happen in their relationship. Now I'm all indignant and heated up and just... I'm sorry. It's okay. It's kind of, I'm just amusing myself. Well, it's interesting when I think about it on the flip side, if they had had Lauren watching Dyson and Bo in the background when they were kissing, I would have been super pissed about that. It seems meaner somehow because like maybe Dyson can handle it because he's, I don't know. A dude or he's old or he's (laughs) gay. No, the, Dyson and Bo fans were not happy. I know that. But uh, yeah, it, I mean, if had it been reversed, it would have, I guess, vilified Lauren. Let me make it clear. I was not arguing for parody in the fact that I wanted Lauren in the background of Bo and Dyson <laughs> kissing. <laughs> that was not the point I was trying to make. <laughs> yeah. But I think it's I think it's fair to think about how one would feel if that were the case, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, and then the show did it later with Tamsin's, you know, catching Bo and Lauren and mm-hmm. what that did to Tamsin. So, uh, again, writers are good at creating the conflict. 
Yeah, the only time I can really think of was when Lauren was there and it was awkward. Was it was like in it was somewhere in season one when oh, yeah. when um, Bo was the- mad at Lauren after they slept together and like she kisses Dyson or hugs Dyson when they're in Lauren's like medical lab area and Lauren kind of like looks away really quickly. That's the only one I can think of off the top of my head. But that was hardly like an important moment in Bo and, and Dyson's relationship. Well, I don't think it was. Maybe Bo and Dyson shippers would disagree. But it, it wasn't as significant, I feel like, as the moments where they had Dyson hanging out in the background. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't Dyson even in the background at the very end of the series? Yes. When they were... <laughs> On the yes. car, he yeah. pops up out of the woods. Yes, to the <laughs> all end. The, all the documents fans were like, oh. <laughs> "We love you." And now I'm just thinking, is yeah, it because time. is it because they never paired up Dyson like really with somebody else as like a long term viable love interest? I guess he's just gonna yeah. hang around. <laughs> it's just like it's like. Bo and Lauren is one chip, and Dyson and Pining is another. <laughs> his, his long-term relationship yeah. was with Pining. Yeah, that's. Yeah. I think that's fair. Or Pines in the case of coming out of the woods. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. he was over it by then, it seemed like, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but since we're, we're kind of talking about Bo and Lauren, again, I men- meant to mention earlier that I actually, not that long ago, was talking about this episode with somebody, and I was like, yeah, I don't really care for the prison storyline, but I like the Bo and Lauren stuff. And they responded to me and they said, yeah, the scenes themselves are pretty good, but what doesn't make sense to me is the fact that it's Lauren waiting for Bo to say it's time for us to be in a relationship. Because if you think back to the end of season two, Bo was the one pining after Lauren through of all season two. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, Nadia's killed, and there's kind of like this possibility in the season two finale, but it was very much that Lauren and her grief was the thing that was stopping them in the moment. So yeah, that's a good point. Like mm-hmm. what happened between end of season two, beginning of season three, when suddenly it's Lauren waiting around for Bo and not the other way around. Well, I always think about that because I always think a somewhat significant amount of time has passed in between season two and three that, at least a couple weeks or something for Bo to have her crime spree and everything, but that Bo and Lauren have remained close and Bo has, or Lauren, it sounds like asked Bo to do this whole thing and came up with this whole elaborate plan to get her into Hecuba, you know, and that she herself would also be in a very risky position. So, you know, I think I remember I read this, a synopsis of this episode and it was like, Bo does a favor for Lauren with taking this case. But I always wonder about the background for that. Well, I wonder. I mean, so what What did Bo go through in season two? She pined after Lauren and there was Nadia, right? And then also she was kind of with Dyson and then he lost his love and that was really hard for her. Maybe she just needed to, she had been through the ringer, the emotional ringer. Maybe she needed some time to just chill out, be by herself, be single for a while. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But like well, I'm thinking back to Into the Dark, which is episode 221, so it's right before the finale. And that's the scene, that's the episode where Bo, I love the pining stuff. This is the pining, the stuff that, that I remember the best. So Bo goes over to Lauren's apartment and she has a slight little cut on her head. And they have that that little fraught conversation that, that ends with Bo leaning in close and saying, breathless, you leave me breathless. 
that is clearly Bo being ready for something to happen. But Lauren's all like, girlfriend just died. Awkward. So I don't know. I like I want to give give the show a bit of the doubt that, you know, Bo decided she just wanted some single gal time in the meantime. But it, it does seem a little weird when I go back and think about it that it was it was, there was literally one episode Bo. between that and this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know, but the writers forgot what they wrote. Mm. <laughs> I love the season two, Docubus Pining, y'all. That's like my favorite. <laughs> Me too. I mean, it's all my favorite, but <laughs> I was watching season two, Docubus Pining recently. And the, you know, when she has the cut and Lauren's like, to heal, yes, and starts unbuttoning her shirt. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, how sweet of Lauren to do that. <laughs> because she just lost her girlfriend and yet she's still willing to do sexy times oh that is lauren is a professional (laughs) she she takes Bo's healing very very seriously very seriously (laughs) oh dear but you're right season two pining is quality content yes it is but it leads into season three it's time (laughs) yeah it's time for more than just pining it, time there's for, times of time for not a not a bad amount of sexy times is what it was time for apparently. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sexy times that are enough to dehydrate and who? Yep. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Sally, for joining us to talk about this episode. We appreciate your commentary and your jokes and uh, your puns. Thanks. Nobody ever appreciates my puns, so thanks for saying <laughs> I that. I love your puns, Sally. We love your puns. Your puns Me are too. welcome here. <laughs> I was totally not fishing when I said that. <laughs> <laughs> like I said before, go check out Sally and her wonderful t-shirts over at fangirlshirts.com. You can share your thoughts about this episode with us. You can find us on Twitter at Drinks at the Doll. You can also send us an email, feedback at drinksatthedoll.com. Drinks of the Doll is part of the Ask Genre TV family of podcasts. You can find our other podcasts for shows like Orphan Black and Killjoys, and we have a multi-fandom podcast called Finalysis. Find all of those over at our website, askgenretv.com. I'm so glad you could join us for Drinks of the Doll. My name is Stephanie. And I'm Annie. My name is Chris, and I did not get the LASIK. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm special guest Sally, and I had LASIK. Keep saving up, Chris. It'll happen one day. I got it on a 50% off. (laughs) (laughs) Discount document slicing? I have 2020 vision. It's fine. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. Cheers. Stop oversharing, Annie. (laughs) (laughs) That's what therapy is for. (laughs) Wowzers.